Give it up, baby. I've studied all your moves. Yeah, study this! <laughs> Yo, what's good, everybody? Welcome to the first annual Techies. Is that what we're calling this? Oh, no. I don't know. Well, it's the end of year stuff. We're talking about the stuff that happened in 2022 in MMA, but mostly the UFC. Um, you know, uh, I didn't really intend for this show to end up being so UFC centric, but you know, the, the UFC just like has a way of dominating the market and. Um, haven't uh, really been keeping up with stuff like PFL and Bellator as much as I probably should be because because um, a lot of the events just suck. You know, like Bellator's been having main events like Peter Quigley versus Benson Henderson. Like, like oh, there's only so many hours in the day. Come on. So there's some stuff uh, going on in here, but but yeah, mostly we're looking at all the stuff that happened in UFC in 2022. We're doing a bunch of the kind of dumb generic award categories that everyone does that are stupid and don't really mean anything. And I don't want to get too like bogged down in picking what is the winner out of each category because I feel like it's probably just going to be more interesting to use these categories to uh, you know have reflective discussions about the best fights and best fighters of the year and, and all of that stuff. But then we'll still probably want to pick a winner because, you know, it's fun. It's like how when we're doing fight analysis, uh, actually picking who's going to win the fight is like the least interesting part, but it is fun. Uh, so should we just jump in this bitch? Yep, sounds good. Okay, so uh, we didn't even have best fighter fighter of the year because that's too generic yeah and yeah well what 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 does that even mean just like who had the best accomplishments and best wins i guess it's kind of between volkanovsky or uh, makachev who respectively have uh, an incredibly impressive era defining performance uh in a title fight and a kind of a squash match over an old beloved veteran um i guess you could throw in someone like Alex Pereira just for getting the title like within three fights in the UFC and having like a a knockout win over a solid top five guy who's very hard to knock out and then like like a sick come from behind fifth round KO to capture the title against an old rival that shit was cool but the first actual one we got is best fight and again what do people mean by best fight and uh, I try to not just have it come down to like most amount of brain damage that happened within a fight uh is normally what people define this by i like for example last year i personally wasn't too hot on uh like justin gaethje michael chandler as a fight of the year just because it just had like a bunch of weird decision making and and a weird third round but what, what were the good fights that happened this year um uh, you know uh, jerry versus glover one that people are talking about a lot I feel like Jerry Glover was very good, but it wasn't. Uh, it felt like a 2014 fight that would have been like what people were saying is like, oh my god, it's one of the craziest fights ever. 
Like it was yeah. good, but it it didn't feel like a modern fight. No, it was a fight that uh, I was I was definitely engaged and invested in everything that was happening as it was playing out. Uh, it was it was a and it was a fight that I praised when it happened for just like uh, a fight like that is what is in some ways what fighting is about. It, it, and uh, there there was just like such ridiculously insatiable win to, will to win on both sides. But it was uh, an incredibly silly fight. Again, with a bunch of very strange decision making. Um, Charles Oliveira versus Justin Gaethje, which is uh, a weird one on the list because normally people think of best fight as a longer, drawn out one, whereas this was just kind of a fir- like a one round shootout. But it's like one of the greatest one round fights I've ever seen. <laughs> it's insane. Yeah, if I think it might flat out be like the best fight that's finished within a round that I've ever seen because it it finished like kind of late into the first. Both guys get hurt multiple times. The guy that it's kind of a comeback because like Charles starts out really hot, then gets dinged and it looks like he's in a bad way, and then he comes back and like drops Gaethje really badly. And the second the fight hits the ground, everyone's losing their shit, but also it's like a foregone conclusion because it's like, oh well, Charles just hurt Gaethje and he's on his back. The fight's over. Yeah, gorgeous finishing sequence as well. He just MMA'd the shit out of Justin Gaethje with the like. Uh, right hand off of the clinch break <clears throat> into the finishing sequence on the ground where he j- he just hits everything that you can hit from the back you know you know hit, hits the the arm bar and the inverted triangle and and elbows from that position just fantastic stuff uh victor henry versus Henry barcelos yeah that one's up there just cuz it's like some nice volume war like they kind of yeah, went hard it's, like, it's it's the kind of fight that you don't get in mma that much where i don't know like both guys actually have pretty good defense and are extremely composed but just keep going at each other um and like the the pace was just insane and like honey barcelos was the perfect kind of matchup for victor henry to really get to showcase his like volume pressure style against uh, a fighter that was like anything but target practice and was always thrown back in a dangerous counter threat. So that, that was a great fight. Yeah, the Gan versus Taito Ivasa, I feel like is hard to put there, but it's like definitely worth a mention just because the, the yeah, first couple yeah, rounds aren't it crazy. Pretty, yeah, it was, a, it was a pretty silly banger, but it's kind of like they have some neutral kickboxing and then Gan gets dinged and then he's fine and then Ty gets really badly hurt to the body and then there's kind of like... you. You know where the fight's going from there, but it was fun. You know, Ty, Ty was still in there swinging back. Um, Julian Rosa versus Stephen Peterson, like one that I felt the need to throw in there when I was writing the list, uh, just because I felt like it was just like a fun undercard banger that was going to go under the radar because the fighters aren't that noticeable, and it was just like um, it was just on a fight night early in the year. And I think it actually ended up on on the UFC's fights of the year list. Um, but again, you know, Julian Arosa, if he doesn't get sparked out in the first round, is always going to be in a banger. Uh, Daniel Santos versus John Castaneda, just both guys get dropped and, and like hurt. Uh, it's like kind of hard not to put that type of fight there. It's also like a fun comeback. Yeah, we got the tiny Charles Oliveira. John Castaneda was doing great, like uh, piecing uh, Santos up with southpaw head kicks for a good bit of the first round before. Santos kind of just like figured out the one switch up that Castaneda had built his game plan around him and just like walked him down and blasted him with knees on the cage. Um, 
I don't know why I put G on Kim versus Priscilla Cashware on here, but it was a banger. <laughs> it was a good fight. <coughs> uh, Yan versus Sean O'Malley, also a good one, but just kind of strange <laughs> and uh, probably would be on most people's like shortlist if it wasn't for the decision being kind of fucky. Yeah, people like uh, were so mad about the decision. They disregard that the fight was great. Yeah, it was it was a great fight. Nobody but Sean O'Malley's most insipid fanboys expected him to do even that well. Um, and I was like, I, I was genuinely impressed. Uh, I guess it's kind of like ha- has a bunch of questionable decision making from Piotr Yan that makes it kind of like, why did you even have to have this fight with this guy? But but just you know, uh, a great back and forth war where both guys get hurt multiple times and all of MMA happens. Um, but my actual pick for fight of the year. Is Drew Dober versus Bobby Green? Uh, that's entirely fair. I think mine might be uh, Robbie Lawler versus Brian Barberena. <laughs> okay, that's fair. <laughs> did, that didn't even occur to me. It was it was just like two old dudes just going the fuck at it. Also, Hinato Moicano versus uh, RDA is up there just because it was kind of like Moicano defending himself, and then I mean, I still got that like, on a you. couple of other lists. <laughs> But um, yeah, get, getting to see um, getting to see uh, old Robbie Lawler for around. Well, I mean, I think we've kind of got to see uh, both Robbie and Brian Barberena classic like come out and like those two be able to have the kind of fight at this point where they were able to bring that out of each other. Um, it was fun. Yeah, and at um, least for but, me, the fight didn't last so long that it became sad. Yeah. But um, I drew Dober versus, I mean, because like last year I was one of the dorks being like, oh, obviously fight of the year was Bobby Green versus Rafael Vazir. It was so cool. And they, they do so many cool tactical things. This is like if that fight had a disgusting knockout in the second round. <laughs> and, and I mean, if Bobby Green, I mean, he looked magnificent in that first round, just lighting Dober up with intercepting counters and kicking the shit out of him, doing his all of his lovely defense shit that worked until it didn't. Yeah, I love that fight. Yeah, and it was a nice show of sportsmanship too as well. Because Bobby Green gets knocked completely dead, and then he stands up eight seconds later and is fine. And then Drew Dover's like, hey, everyone should be more like this guy. He's a cool guy. And yeah, Bobby Green's just like, man, I got knocked out. That shit was crazy. It, like He just has the most generic, like, polite reaction to being knocked out anyone's ever had. Bobby Green's a good sport. Yeah, so I had I had a couple of other fights that I just wanted to mention that were uh, a not in the UFC and also not even actually MMA fights, but they were in one championship and it all just kind of blurs together. And uh, also, it's impossible to follow fucking Japanese kickboxing. I just, I don't even know where to start. Fucking ask Spencer for that stuff. Um, but Sitichai uh, versus Chingiz Alazov was just like an incredible technical war and like Chingiz Alazov being able to take the kind of fight to Sitachai that most people just aren't able to. And Sitachai being the kind of a really crisp, clean technician who, if you can bring that fight to him, he will just fight you back and he will just have exchanges and eat shit and bang with you. And uh, that was a great fight. Um, also, Tawan Chai versus Pech Marikot was cool. Uh, it, it was another one 
where a lot of people kind of thought Tamanchai fought like a dumbass and made the fight a lot harder than it needed to be, even though he won, um, and just kind of decided to just sling left hands in the pocket with Petch Morricot. But even despite that, it's just like, I like seeing two guys who have really good defense have like a banger where they're both just trying to take each other's heads off, but it's but really fucking hard for, for them to actually land clean on each other and they've just got to do so much to set up clean offense. Another cool one recently was um, uh, Pampayak versus Pampayak versus Superlek. I think it was their eighth fight, and it was like it was just cool to see a fight between two guys who like know each other that well at this point. It's a fuck. It's a dorky technical fight where like you get to appreciate cool aesthetic defense and part of the beauty of the fight actually being two guys like struggling to set up clean offense on each other so so those those fights were cool and i don't think we got much of a chance to talk about them and they're worth going back and watching if you missed them yeah and then uh for best knockout uh which is a category that had quite a lot of uh options this year also probably some ones that we forgot to to mention yeah yeah, definitely because like i mean a so many knockouts happened uh and there's so many like ways that you can define a knockout of the year be that on just like aesthetics or significance or context or it being a particularly silly technique or sequence or or what have you just how knocked out someone gets yeah but i I like to think christian that we have a particular eye for knockouts i even devised a scoring system at one at one point for like you know how ed has his ed scale i have a similar thing but for rating how cool knockouts are i'm not going to get too into it but if you're interested you can ask me about that yeah, so for this year, there's, like, options that will explain why they're on here, because some of them don't necessarily make sense. Like, the fact yeah, that Molly McCann's on here for two fights at once. Yeah, um, and also the first fight that I put on this <laughs> on the list is Arene Aldana versus Macy Chearson. I've never seen someone get finished like that way, and it was cool. <laughs> Yeah, it's like a it niche. axe kick to the to the liver from guard. So, it, like, I, I couldn't not mention it because I like you don't see that shit every day. But but uh, as for I, I guess the actual knockouts of the year, uh, Demetrius Johnson in his second fight with Adriano Marias, um, just one of the coolest flying knees that you'll ever see, and uh. One of the things that I think makes us really appreciate a knockout is, like, uh, sequencing. A lot of knockouts in MMA are just, like, a, a guy, a, two guys are at range and a guy throws a thing and then the other guy reads it wrong and just dies instantly. But then, you know, when you see some shit like this where uh, DJ does, like, uh, simultaneously shifts and slips a left hook to set up a right overhand... And then as Adriano Marias uh, goes stumbling back, he like perfectly follows him back to the cage and fucking pins his head to the cage with a flying knee. And like before Adriano Marias is even done like being dead, uh, like DJ's just like jogging off. Like, yep. So that was one of the coolest fucking knockouts I've ever seen. Yeah, DJ has a particular talent for making his finishes look like he slowed the world down in his perspective and then we get to see it in real time. Because, like, he had that for the submission against Ray Borg, and then he had it for the KO against Bryce here. And it was just so flawless looking. 
still at the age that he is, he makes MMA look like a fucking video game. It's crazy. Uh, then we have Leon Usman, which is hard not to at least put in the top five, just because it was a pound for pound top guy getting killed horribly, like getting full on like flattened. Now that's one that you have to put because of a context and just because of how savage the knockout was. Because you know Usman being as good as undefeated and being a dominant champ that nobody really saw losing anytime soon. Um, just getting absolutely murderized by a perfect left high kick. But as I said, it, it is kind of the, the, one of the least cool kinds of knockout in, in that it's just like, oh, he threw the head kick and he thought it was a body kick and he died. <laughs> yeah, you also have to read that fight as, like, you have to reach so hard to find that finish being, like, that interesting. Because it's really just Usman, if you throw enough head kicks at him, he'll, like, he'll get hit by one. Um, most people just can't defend the wrestling long enough to throw that many head kicks against him. And Leon didn't even do it really. It was just kind of like Usman took his eye off the ball and then got head kicked. Which, not to discredit the win, like it's still a sick win. Uh, and it was also a great yeah, KO. Yeah, but also just, Usman like, has been hurt by everyone he's fought who, who can do a southpaw double attack. Yeah, like it just wasn't like. <laughs> it's impressive because it, it like got him the win, but it's not that impressive in the sense that, yeah, like you just do that enough, you're going to get the win. Uh, yeah, but it was also like up fucking to the numbers. bananas because, like, Leon Edwards, not a historical finisher, and Kamaru Usman, extremely durable and has great recovery and was up on the cards. And, you know, it was one where, like, even though people always like to be like, you know, anything can happen, when you're seeing a guy who hasn't had a knockout in however many years, you, 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 you're not thinking that. And then he just does it, and you're like, what, what the fuck? So... Uh, yeah, have to include that one. Um, another great head kick knockout: uh, Cheeto Vera versus Dominic Cruz. Uh, just disgusting. <laughs> like um, he'd been uh, dinging Cruz up real bad uh, throughout the fight, but just I think was it third, fourth round? He just gets Cruz to the cage, throws a jab, and gets Cruz doing like one of his big exaggerated dips as he turns away and just like just kicks him in the nose and activates his ragdoll physics brutal knockout yeah the uh the fact that he just like adjusted instead of doing a full-on one-two into a head kick he just like flicks the jab and then like steps into it like he actually adjusted to it quite well and the rest of the fight also kind of adds to the knockout for me because he he pretty much landed like three good strikes the entire fight and they all either got a knockdown or end of the fight which i don't know why people think that's a, a stupid way to fight I think it's badass. Yeah. If 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 I could only win by doing that, I would totally do that. Like just get do throw the most efficient shot selection possible and just win. Uh then we got uh McCann versus Luana Carolina and Hannah Goldie. This is in here. He had to give Molly McCann style points for getting two spinning elbow chaos. Yeah. Also being someone who's like not known for getting finishes and i mean again the, Lu the luana carolina one was a d disgusting knockout <laughs> where carolina was just, just like starfished out cold um and then i actually thought the hannah goldie one was kind of cooler because again like uh she didn't get like instantly flatlined she just got froze up against the cage and molly mccann had to like uh like polish her off with with, with with, with with some nice punches up against the cage, 
again, got to see some cool sequencing. Um, and then on uh, the same card as, I believe, the Luana Carolina one, um, uh, Ilya Taporia versus Jai Herbert. Absolutely sickening, the, the way um, uh, Taporia lifted Jai Herbert into the air with a left hook to the body and then uh, just cleaned him out with a right hand that sent him absolutely into the shadow realm. Yeah, it was like so filthy that you kind of got to disregard the fact that the level of competition, it's not bad at all, but it's not like a champion getting knocked out. Yeah, well, and and like, you know, Joe Herbert had uh, dropped Taporia with a head kick in the first round. Yeah, he's a good fighter. Um, it, like, it's just hard to not, uh, like, discount it from being, like, the knockout of the year just because it's not against, like, like a champion or uh, or in, like, the Demetrius Johnson fight. Like, even though he wasn't UFC champion, he's still a great fighter. Yeah, and had knocked out Demetrius Johnson in, in, yeah, in they, their previous match. Yeah, like, a very, very good fighter. So it's just kind of a... A strange one where I don't really know how to rate it in terms of picking it, but on actual like KO visuals, it's maybe the best looking knockout on the entire list. But then there was a uh, Tyson Nam versus Ode Osborne, which again not that noticeable, but it's one that I just personally had to throw in there because it was just like it was so silly, like the way Tyson Nam like pull countered a flying knee and decked Osborne with a right hand, and then. And then, like, sent him rolling back into just like the boopiest little ground and pound. Like, there's no way that I can describe this knockout. You just got to go watch it now if you haven't seen it. Yeah, it was just very funny. Um, then we have Adrian Yanez versus Tony Kelly, where Adrian just. I, they kind of like a kind of scrappy brawl for the first round, but it's not really competitive. And then Yanez <laughs> takes over and lands a, a really nice series of shots. He, he just lands so many punches that he just like stuns him and then just keeps him stun locked kind of yeah and it was it was a fun one to see because uh tony kelly is a a fucking asshole and b extremely tough so he like just like had to let uh had to let adrian yanez keep doing shot selection on him and just following him around cleaning him out with right hands over and over again and then the moment where he drops him and then like Adrian Yard like disappears and then reappears behind Tony Kelly to hit him with a bunch of left hooks from behind. And then the ref like trips over Tony Kelly getting Adrian Yanez off. And then Adrian Yanez flips him off. Yeah, the uh, flicking uh, him off. That was part. a good one. That's a that's the like main thing that seals it there. Um also put Alex Pereira versus Sean Strickland just because like I mean just because it was cool. And like you um, said, sequencing I- is big for us. And, and like he drops him really nice off of something slick, and then follows up with a right hand that finishes him off. Yeah, which is just like timed and placed so perfectly as Sean Strickland's trying to recover, and he hasn't regained his balance yet. And Sean Strickland is just like way harder to knock out than he should be. <laughs> so it's cool to see a kickboxer just come over and just just do like two tactics and just win easily. Yeah, and then uh, Gregory Rodriguez versus Julian Marquez, where. Rodriguez really just puts on a masterclass for like a round and a half of looking like he's he can't be hit. He just put he out of nowhere puts on like the best defensive boxing performance of the year. And then also we had to include Bilal Muhammad versus Sean Brady because it was just like it it just makes the least sense out of any knockout on this list. 
Yeah, in a weird way it makes sense, but it also doesn't make sense because, like, if someone told me that Blah Muhammad would easily beat uh, Sean Brady and maybe even hurt him a bunch, I'd be like, yeah, fair. But he has just not traditionally been someone that can follow up to get finishes like that before. No, and it's uh, it's a fight that I like because it proves that, like, anyone can become a finisher. Like, it, like it is about, like, mentality and approach. Yeah, he, really all he needed was someone to be like, hey, dude, just fucking go harder in his corner. Like, ju- just just push it. Just try. You yeah. can finish the guy. Have the confidence. I think we said it. this at the time. Like, uh, like, during that sequence, Khabib was just screaming, finish him. And that was, like, exactly the corner advice that Bilal Muhammad needs. Yeah, so many coaches will be like, oh, don't, don't overexert. Don't go crazy. Don't go crazy. Which is terrible fucking advice if you are a, a stamina threat like that that also has a crazy chin and you've hurt someone. Like just yeah, go and, at him, and like, and you and you can see that the guy doesn't have anything for you off of the back foot, and he's gassing, and like, yeah, it it, it was what Bilal Muhammad needed to hear was to just just keep throwing one twos over and over again. My actual so, yeah. pick for the year is DJ Morais, because like, how is it not? I think, I think I agree. Um, I feel like if I had to say two others that I think are there, it's uh, Cheeto Cruz and Tapuria Herbert, just because. Tapuria Herbert is so, like, filthy of a KO. And then, um, kind of the same for, uh, Cheeto Cruz, but Cheeto Cruz is just, like, very, like, nicely set up. Yeah, it's just kind of a cooler head kick knockout than uh, Leon Edwards versus Kamara Usman. Okay, so, uh, we're getting into best submission. Um, so, had to throw in there, of course, Islam Makachev. Club and sub in the, the leader in finishes and submissions in Charles Oliveira to gain uh, the lightweight title. I was kind of salty about it, but it was an absolutely magnificent performance. And um, I mean, you know, he you know he hurt Charles Oliveira and then just did a nice arm triangle. It was like 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 it, it, in a vacuum. There's, there's there's nothing crazy, and it's just the context of it. It's not, it's not, not like he's the first guy to submit Charles Oliveira. He's like, oh, whatever. Yeah, as, like, Charles Oliveira's biggest fan, I, I wasn't actually, like, that sour at the fight. I was like, oh, cool, someone looks good <laughs> enough to actually beat Charles Oliveira. That's fucking nuts. Because Charles Oliveira is so good. Like, being able to beat him is such an accomplishment. So it's a weird one where I kind of want to give that one best submission of the year just off of how much of an accomplishment it is. But it's also hard to do because, like, he does club and sub him, and it's not like Charles hasn't been submitted before. But also, like, how hard someone is to submit doesn't factor in that much for me when it comes to best submission. Yeah, that's fair, because we also have Charles Oliveira versus Justin Gaethje. <laughs> yeah, where if you can get on Gaethje's back, you're probably going to be able to submit him if you're a, a decent-level jiu-jitsu guy. It's not easy to get there, and but uh, you know, but still uh, one that we had to throw in, because eh, you know, it was still uh, in a title fight, and... Uh, as I was talking about earlier, just gorgeous sequencing once it hits the ground. Yeah, it was just slick as hell. It's hard not to put on there. Then we also have um, one of my favorites, uh, Saeed Namagomedov. Uh, I've got versus Cody Stamen, but you could also, again, you can throw in uh, him hitting essentially the same move on uh, Koop Kakramanov. I just thought, again, uh, the way he sets up the submission against Cody Stamen with like they're in the clinch and uh, Namagomedov just hits this nice little inside trip that um, gets Stamen to like take a bad shot from his knees and he just instantly rolls him over into a ninja choke. Um, and Cody Stamen definitely, like I think, a solid level of opposition to do that kind of thing too. And so you could uh, Kakramanov, um, 
yeah, just like pressure wrestled the shit out of Said Namagamadov until Namagamadov just like found a guillotine because he's even though he was getting wrestled, like Namagamadov is just a really tricky scrambler who it, like it's really fucking hard to like actually get him in control positions and he was doing really smart shit about like saying um shutting down transitions to the back at, at the first layer. Um so yeah, nice stuff. Uh Alexia Lining versus Jared Vandera fucking had to be on here because it was just some of the silliest shit I've ever seen. Yeah, he gives Vandera multiple advantageous positions or quote-unquote advantageous positions just so that he can uh, eventually reverse it and submit him. He, he like gives his back and then literally he puts himself in a triangle in like a an invert or a reverse triangle with it whichever the fuck one it is. Like, like, literally takes Jared Vandera's legs and puts them in that position, and then just rolls over into Vandera's guard and just, just glides through his guard into side control, where he finishes him with the mother's milk. Um, and then Jessica Andrade versus Amanda Lemos. This is just on there because it's fucking sick. Like, he was in a main event fight, and Andrade just walks over and fucking grabs her and then strangles her while they're standing up. It wasn't even like a high that high skill of a maneuver. It's kind of just her athleting or athleting her opponent. But either way, it's still badass. Like it, uh, Lamosh is an athlete too. Like a yeah, she great athlete. To one of the other more, like more imposing athletes in the division, and, and just like and just like come here, stupid, and just squeezed her. <laughs> yeah, it's like if Yol Romero went over and just like arm triangle fucking like Chris Weidman on the feet. Like matchup wise, not the same, but like someone's also a great athlete. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, I wanted to throw in uh, Jim Miller versus Donald Cerrone because, uh, I mean, what a year it's been for Jim Miller. And it was the first time I've ever seen, like, a reverse club and sub where Jim Miller got hurt by a head kick, but Donald Cerrone fell over and Jim Miller, like, recovered quick enough to just, like, wrap up the gilly while uh, Donald Cerrone was getting to his feet. That was cool. Yeah, and uh, Paul Craig versus Nikita Krylov in also in contest for least surprising submission of all time. Uh, Paul Craig gets uh, like put on his back, and and then he's like, "Oh, oh no, I'm on my back. Whatever will I do?" And then Nikki Girls gets fucking submitted because like Nikki Nikki just goes too aggressively on top. Yeah, just because like the whole. The whole time, uh, the commentary booth are just like, you know, Paul Craig. He probably really needs to just try and work to his feet. I get, I get that this is his style. He's a jujitsu guy, but you're not winning around like this. And then just like wraps up the, like the nicest triangle you, you'll ever see. Um, yeah, like Nikki Krill's just like overextending a little too much on trying to get some big ground and pound. And Paul Craig just like uh, traps the arm and instantly wraps up the triangle. There's like nice old school street self-defense jujitsu shit you're not going to see in MMA outside of Paul Craig versus Nikita Krylov fight. And it's also added to how cool it was that Paul Craig, uh, um, when he was uh, pulling Nikita Krylov's head down uh, to finish the choke, he just started talking to him. He was just like saying, ah, you're fucked, brother. You fucked up. You might as well tap now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, also, I put Charles Jourdain versus Lando Fanata on here just because um, uh, it was a guillotine finish where as Charles Jourdain recovered guard to like get leverage to finish the choke, uh, he, he just pulled Fanata's pants down with his legs. So he like yeah, just got submitted and pantsed 
Yeah, that one being funny makes it actually in my top three. Uh, just because it's funny. And also, Lando Bernard is a really good wrestler, so him being submitted a weight class down by a guy not traditionally known for submissions makes it up there for me. But I think my actual... Also, I feel less bad about picking uh, a submission based on it being funny because, like, you know, I already really got hurt. Yeah, I, I think my actual pick for this category isn't even picking best submission, it's picking best submitter. And it's going to be Saiden or Magomedov because he's got two ninja chokes in a year. And that's my favorite submission. Yeah, I mean, I was going to pick the Cody Stamen one anyway, just because of how nice the setup is. And uh, because that, like like I say, that is good. Like, that's a decent level of opposition to pull off that kind of move on. Like, the only other person who submitted Cody Stamen was Aljamain Sterling. And it was like a reasonably competitive grappling match leading up to that. Um but yeah, uh, also doing it against the somewhat unheralded but definitely very good opponent in uh, Saidi Kramanov as well, I think seals that one for this category. Uh, then on to best performance. Yeah, so there's a there's like one fight that it obviously is, and then there's another fight that it maybe might be, and then there's a few other fights that I wanted to throw in there just because of just because of like different reasons so like i mean it's obviously uh, alexander volkanovsky versus max holloway three right yeah it was the like second best fighter in the world getting 50 45 by the best fighter in the world he so made max holloway looked like the korean zombie yeah it, it's hard it take some sting off of that korean zombie fight because it's like like oh maybe korean zombie wasn't even like even that done in that fight and looked bad like volk is just this fucking good. Yeah, he's, he's literally just that good. Uh, but then, I feel like picking that's just cheating, so then we have to list the other ones. Yeah, so I I, I, th- I threw in, uh, like, a couple I wanted to throw in were Kamakata versus Giga Chikaze, uh, mainly just because, like, it seemed like a horrible matchup, and Kamakata was coming off of <clears throat> the worst shit-kicking of all time to Max Holloway, and he's not young, and people thought he might just be done and he just showed up and, like, 50-44 beat the absolute piss out of a decent fighter who's not easy to do that to. Um, also, Robert Whitaker versus Marvin Vittori, kind of a little bit of a stylistic layup, but just, like, nobody's nobody's really done that to Marvin Vittori. No one's, like, just... You know, he even got some stuff done against Adesanya to the point that Marvin Vittori could somehow convince himself that he had an argument for winning either or both of those fights. But this was the only fight where... Like Bobby Knuckles genuinely broke Marvin Vittori to the point that he was like, "Okay, that guy was just better than me. I couldn't do anything." And I, I thought that was quite impressive. Yeah, and then we got a uh, Islam Makhachev versus Charles Oliveira, which is hard to not put as number one if you discount uh, or if you don't pick Volk Max Holloway, just because it's a pound for pound top five guy getting consummately like beaten like very easily not easily easily yeah he he, he made charles look bad charles is one of the best fighters in the world right now and he made him look bad yeah it, it was like it, it was like charles Oliveira kind of having his getting dog walked uh stage of his late action fighter career or like the first fight that's really happened in like he just kind of got dog walked because he, he uh was like chasing shit that wasn't there because he was uh just like stuck on certain ideas too long and Makhachev really capitalized on every uh, like perceived flaw you could find in Charles' game, like the fact that he's pretty hittable, the fact that he jumps into a lot of things uh, and doesn't really 
like he just throws caution to the wind so much that if you fight someone that's that controlled but also able to implement that type of controlled game without getting scared uh, like Justin Gaethje couldn't probably be that controlled on the feet if he doesn't have to worry about getting submitted or Dustin Poirier kind of the same thing like if he's not worrying about getting fucked up and submitted then you can do it and Islam it's just surprising in the sense that uh, you wouldn't have prior to watching that fight expected that Makashev would be able to just easily be- beat Charles Oliveira on the feet Despite the fact that Islam's very good, I think that just stylistically, he's really rough for Charles, and also uh, <coughs> he prepared perfectly, and he implemented his game plan as well as you possibly could in that matchup. So, that's like the the pick, I think. Uh, but it, it's... Uh, let's just not use Volk, or, Volk Max or that fight. Yeah, let's not use either of those fights as like the the best performance of the year, because it's just boring, because, like, no shit. Yeah, the, uh, here's the one I want to pick. Uh, Anthony Hernandez versus Marc-Andre Barrio, just because it's funny as fuck that uh, one of the best displays of MMA you'll see happened in a fight that's, like, somewhat considered to be low-level. Like, Marc-Andre Barrio is not, by the masses, considered, like, a great opponent, but he is a good fighter. And Anthony Hernandez... Did everything you can do in MMA to him. He outstruck him. He out grappled him. He out kicked him. He uh, he out clinched him. He really fucked him up in the clinch at certain points. Uh, he Pressure wrestled and fuck, broke the shit out of uh, Barrio on the ground. Yeah, he out jujitsu him. Like he, he beat him in every phase of fighting, which I think is like ground prime Frankie Edgar, but at middleweight. Yeah, with a better clinch game. Like it, it's it's hard not for me to think of best performance as what shows the most MMA that you can possibly do. Like he showed like every phase of MMA being done really well against a decent opponent who's also like defensively competent in every one of those areas. So that's my pick. But then best performance in the sense of like someone getting just beaten the fucking shit out of. We got Spurrier versus Bryce. A fight that wasn't as easy to call as maybe we would have liked it to be for guys who uh, enjoy Ilya Taporia. Um, but then it like it, it looked like it shouldn't have been, like it looked like it should have been an easy pick, and that Bryce Mitchell like didn't really belong in there, even though he's clearly a very good fighter, and like in theory had a lot of things that could have been uh, that could have been really tricky for Taporia and. It was almost a flawless performance. Like, if there's anything you can criticize, it's that Taporia was just like kind of overswinging because he wanted to take Bryce's head off, but he consummately outgrappled him, uh, uh, pressured the shit out of him, uh, countered the shit out of him, and then finished him on the ground with just a, an incredibly disrespectful sequence where he just pancaked him into an arm triangle. Um, and then. I guess on a similar kind of theme, but a, a different category, we've got best shit kicking. Yeah, there's a, there was some good shit kickings this year, but it's it's hard to not think that uh, like Valkyrie and Zombie is is just like the best one. Yeah, Volk gets all of the awards because he's the best fighter, obviously. <laughs> yeah, you can give him like fighter of the year too. Like you can give him basically any thing of the year except for finish but even then it was like a sick KO like you could arguably put that in the top finishes it was really like if the ref decided to let Korean Zombie die it would have been the best knockout of the year 
Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, you you can also consider the whole fight the best knockout of the year. Yeah. Because, I mean, he, he made the Korean zombie look like he didn't belong in the UFC, which even, you know, even for the Korean zombie at this point, I, I still think Korean zombie could win a bunch of fights at featherweight if he get to at this point. And Volt just just put him in a box. Um, Joaquin Buckley versus Albert Duraev was just a, just a ridiculous athletic mismatch where Joaquin Buckley's like uh, just pure martial arts vibes, incredibly jacked guy thing w- was able to just work. And I uh, spent half the fight being really mad at him for not having a clue what he was doing and then the rest of the fight just, just enjoying the ride. <laughs> I, I feel like Sergey Spivak Greg Hardy is is one that you can put on just because it's kind of funny that uh, the like asshole Greg Hardy got the fuck beaten out of him. Oh yeah, and he just he just got like completely outclassed and just thrown around like a child and instantly destroyed on the ground and then like was like pretending that he got knocked out harder than he did to like for like damage control i don't know that one was weird but it was funny uh matt frivola versus hanaro valdez kind of hard not to put on there just because hanaro valdez gets dropped like five times yeah it was pretty brutal uh and, and then uh Sarukian versus joel alvarez that one's pretty good yeah most mostly uh, uh an ass whooping on the ground not normally what people factor in for shaking no, the year no and it was just fun to see like uh a massive weight bully who does not belong in the division just get like taken down and elbowed the shit out of by like the, the five foot seven like stocky guy. Yeah, and then we got RDA versus Moicano where it was just a kind of level difference the entire fight. So short notice and just like a horrible stylistic matchup for Hanato Moicano on any night, but just just a brutal fight that should have been stopped at several points and. Um, you got to see all of the stuff that RDA does and that he's still got it. Uh, you know, he jabbed up Moicano, dropped him with a head kick, beat the fuck out of him on the ground. Yeah, I think that fight isn't best shit kicking or like even really close to that, but I think it is maybe the best showing in a fight where you get the fuck beaten out of you. Or like the the best effort in a losing, uh, like a hard losing performance that I've seen of the year. Yeah, because you know Moncano was still in that fight. I, I, I guess I can see why they kept him in it, but what wasn't anywhere near close to winning at any point. And uh, yeah, RDA like, I'm, I feel like he's like he's thought of as just like very workmanlike and consistent. But if his game is working, he is extremely violent. Um, and then Khalil Roundtree versus Carl Roberson was just was just a bitching. <laughs> like yeah, Khalil Roundtree just came out and just, just pressured the fuck out of Carl Roberson and just pushed him up against the cage and just just beat him up for everything that he wanted to try to do. And then when he dropped him in the second round, we got to see the return of the Khalil Roundtree uh, switch kick to the body of a grounded opponent. One of my personal favorite techniques. Yeah, I, I think my pick. Um... Is this hard? Because I don't really like many of the options, like as a like personally. Uh, but Volcarine Zombie, I, I guess, just the easy one because it's like the kind of the highest level guy getting the fuck beaten out of him. Even 
Okay, so they're not on, on like a similar theme, but like slightly different. <laughs> is best mismatch, which uh. Yeah, similar, but also gets into the realm of shady promotional practice, which is a huge part of MMA. Um, all of the ones that I've got here are in the UFC. I feel like there must have been some silly, horrible mismatches in like one championship and stuff like that at some point this year. But um, So we got Alex Pereira versus Sean Strickland. Where it's a weird one where it's it's not even a mismatch depending on how you look at it. But if you look at it for the way that it played out and the way that we had kind of every reason to believe it would play out, uh, it was a mismatch. Well, and just like the the reasons that the fight w- was booked for as well. Because on one hand, you could say, well, Sean Strickland is an experienced, like, well-ranked uh, MMA fighter. And, you know... the. Pereira wasn't really either of those things going into that fight. But it's like, yeah, but it's also like a janky MMA striker who will not impose a wrestling threat against a huge and extremely dangerous and technically proficient actual world championship level kickboxer. So, um, you know, it was just uh, so obviously made. You know, even Sean Strickland knew that this fight was made just to get Pereira a knockout that was going to vault him into a title shot. Yeah, I I think that <coughs> the fights, uh, like largely this match, just in due part there there was like not even a path to victory for Strickland, even if you look at him being able to wrestle, like they were trying to get him knocked out because it's a guy that's he's also like much smaller than Pereira, like kind of everything about the matchup, like even if it was a, a matchup where he would have a skill edge in wrestling, which I mean he does, but he he doesn't wrestle. And also, he's too small to even really impose that type of thing against Ferreira had he tried. And it, it's just nice being able to... It, it was like if we get to see, like, Bobby Green fight fucking Sinichai. If Sinichai had, like, a, like, two years of grappling training. Yeah, I mean, yeah, even though we love Bobby Green. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I just use him as, like, an example of someone that's uh, kind of like a sparring-style guy. Yeah. And a one-two merchant. Well, like this fight was on one-two merchant versus a, a legitimate kickboxer. Yeah, uh, and then um, I had to include Aljamain Sterling versus TJ Dillashaw, which uh, on paper shouldn't be any kind of miss. Should just be like um, a well-booked championship fight. But once it became quite apparent that everyone involved was aware of TJ Dillashaw's horrible shoulder injury that basically instantly ended the fight. It was, it really was like, what are we doing here? And uh, I haven't reached for some of the wacky conspiracy theories that I've heard thrown out about this fight. Um, because I genuinely do believe that TJ Dillashaw is just that dumb and like just that much of a, like grind set chud that he believed that he could be Aljamain Sterling with one arm, uh, but he obviously couldn't, and he got destroyed. Yeah, it was uh, just very annoying to watch. Yeah, I don't really have anything good to say game. about the fight. Like that one wasn't even like a funny mismatch. It was disappointing because I wanted to see a, like a well matched fight, and it started out looking cool for a minute. Uh, yeah, it, sh- then- it should have been like a, it should have been a great bantamweight title fight, and it would just seemed like a a waste of 
pretty much everyone's time involved, other than maybe Aljamain Sterling, because <laughs> he got he got an easy win and he got paid, but it still it doesn't really do anything for his championship reign. And his shoulder got popped out doing something that isn't even like something that pops your shoulder out traditionally. They were just saying his shoulder popped out at like sneezing too hard pretty much by the end of the camp because of how fucked up they, it was throughout and the fact that he kept training with it. Yeah, which is why it is completely insane that he was even in this fight in the first place and then he had to retire. Like I'm sure he was getting fucked up and sparring by like bad fighters because of how bad the injury Yeah, it was just the first time he had to apply any pressure to his arm. It just fell off. Yeah, it, it it wasn't. Didn't he injure his shoulder doing like, uh, like trying to limp leg? <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> or, or, or like he, he was just trying to like move his leg out of the way when he got grabbed, and then it, somehow his shoulder popped out. I don't really it, like. It, he had a very compromised shoulder. That that fight shouldn't have even been booked. But I don't think that's what I would count in traditionally in the sense of what a mismatch is. I think the next two, however, yeah, and you've got uh, two sides of the of the same mismatch coin here, where where you've got Jack Della Maddalena, uh, who, to be fair, was making his UFC debut and was supposed to be debuting against Wally Alves because it was clear from his contender series fight that he was going to be one of the most high quality uh, prospects at welterweight moving forward, and you know, booking him against Wally Alves uh, as a debut that's that's not that's not an easy fight for a debuting fighter. Um, but then Wally Alves pulled out, and they bought in four and O Pete Rodriguez, who uh, is uh, an, an actual MMA fighter at least. But uh, yeah, with 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 four with four fights, and pretty much all being like first round finishes, it was clear that the guy was dangerous, but not ready to be there, and definitely not against a guy who actually had a reasonable amount of outside UFC experience and clearly a, a, was a complete and athletic and well put together fighter. And he got knocked out in the first round, obviously. Yeah, and then in uh, the reverse, where Pete Rodriguez, a guy who is a genuine MMA fighter, like he's been training for years, he's he has a good amount of I think experience. He has amateur fights as well. Yeah, like, like uh, he, outside he, of his now now six uh, professional fights. Yeah, like he's just a competent guy who's very clearly athletic enough to be a good fighter. Or to be like an upper echelon finisher. Yeah, well, and as as you can see, is dangerous. And, yeah, he, uh, he he was fighting Mike Jackson. Yeah, he he fought a guy who was functionally a journalist in the, in the last several years, who has never really been a dedicated, uh, serious fighter. It was a guy that it, the difference between a, a a serious fighter and an unserious fighter was demonstrated in the fight. Uh, it, like I feel like this is more of a mismatch than Jack Dillon Madalena versus Peter Rodriguez by like a fucking huge margin because at least that's two serious fighters just at different stages of their career. Yeah, this is like a this is this is like a hobbyist, <laughs> and a guy who just like fucks around and has been training for a long time. Um, yeah, he got he got fucking obliterated. Uh, and then the last one I've got on here is just a Sam Alvey versus UFC fighters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sam Alvey has, should not have been fighting UFC fighters for the last like three years. Yeah, and then uh, they they had him in there with fucking Brendan Allen and Mikhail Oleksandrov. <laughs> just predatory matchmaking uh but i yeah i think my pick is my pick for best mismatch is just Pete rodriguez's uh two sides of the same coin yeah just because it's funny it's it's rare that a fighter is able to be on both sides of a mismatch in the same year okay so moving on to best comeback um 
once again, Leon Edwards versus Kamaru Usman had to be in here because was was definitely losing. Um, and you know, like we said earlier, it being a title fight and, and Kamaru Usman having been such a dominant champion and Leon not being a finisher. But uh, I think compared to some of the other comebacks, it it, it was very, like it, it really did just happen very suddenly. Um, like there, you know, he did stuff tactically to set it up and he had been getting stuff done throughout the fight, um, you know, even beyond the first round where he, he took Usman down and uh, got his back. Um, you know, he he just kept like getting himself put on the cage and the hit in the body and taken down a bunch. Um, and then, yeah, Usman kind of just takes his eye off the ball because he thinks he's got the fight in the bag and Leon kicks him in the head once and he dies. Uh, whereas uh, the other ones, like, on this list all involve, like, um, the person who has a bad start having to do things to really work their way back into the fight beyond a single moment. Yeah, and something I alluded to for the Leon Edwards-Usman fight earlier is that if you want to reach really hard, you can come up with, you know, the idea, oh, maybe uh, Leon actually set up the KO because he had been giving up pressure just for free, not even really getting pressured, more just walking backwards for four rounds. And then all of a sudden he stops just moving backwards and stands his ground even a little, and Usman just kind of like accepts it because he is just conditioned to by that point. And then he head kicks him at range. But I feel like that's a really big fucking reach, even if it's true, or like a little true. Uh, it also doesn't count. I, I, I think it's... I think it's like kind of tactically part of the dynamic, but I think it's a lot more that Usman. I don't think it was conscious uh, at all. No, no, I think no, I think he just gassed and he thought he had the fight in the bag and thought and thought he could just like chill at range with Leon for the fifth round, and that was just obviously not the thing to do. But he put out a ridiculous work rate, and they were at high altitude, and Leon had kind of just been chilling, like he was losing, but he was he wasn't like injured actually, or anything. No, and he wasn't doing. Like it was the rare kind of Kamaru Usman fight where his grinder approach of I'm going to do stuff, do stuff all the time, and it's going to tire me out, but it's going to tire the other guy out. Kind of just didn't work because Leon's also quite large and strong and just chilled for several rounds and didn't do too much. Yeah, <laughs> so. it's all, it is also though <clears throat> hard to give it uh, like best comeback when he had the best first round anyone's had against Usman. Yeah. So like he, said, he got um, his it, first takedown that Usman's received against him, straight into mount, and then takes the back and had had a body triangle secured. Yeah, so um, it's kind of like he he was winning very clearly, and then Usman came back and was like, "Okay, yeah, no, fuck this," for three rounds, and then in the fourth round, Leon like came back. So even if he hadn't knocked him out, it still would have been like a forty-eight, forty-seven decision. Yeah, whereas um. Uh, Matt Schnell versus Sumidarjuri, like Matt Schnell was completely on the brink of death uh, for the entire of the second round. Um, I think this fight, uh, like the second round of this fight holds a special place to me as just like uh, my like single round of MMA ever. Um, just because if, I, th I, I think it's the... It's if someone said to me, "I've never seen MMA before. What is it?" I'd just be like, "Oh, dude, watch this," and you're just gonna see like everything that can happen in an in an MMA fight in like three minutes, where um, 
like Sumidadri is just cleaning Schnell out with like straight counters and like hand trap elbows and stuff, and then like takes his eye off the ball for like a moment, and Schnell like dings him with a right hand and takes him down, beats the fuck out of him from mount, and then gets rolled over and then finishes with a triangle, and you know it, ha- it has that moment where Schnell's letting go of Sumidadri while he's completely limp and they're both covered in blood and it looks like a murder just happened. Yeah, I feel like that fight is the the most traditionally considered a comeback out of all the the fights on the list, but isn't my favorite one. Like, I think it's it's a lot more violent than it is a good comeback. It's more just he got so fucking badly hurt that it seemed impossible for him to come back, which is also a criteria for comebacks. But this is also is a as you've mentioned is a thing that will happen with Sumidajri. But I mean, <laughs> like. He still did everything he should have had to do, so, you know. Yeah, and it not being a thing that Matt Chanel's typically known for makes it a little different as well, because that kind of undercuts the fact that it's not something that happens, or something that can happen to Sumodarji. Sexy Armor versus Shinya Aoki is on here, I mean, just because it's funny and it's ridiculous that, like, that that fight happened in 2022? And it was, um, like, a good fight. Yeah. Uh, and and it was like you, you know Shinya got a, a standing a body triangle early and was just like oh is this gonna be early Shinya Aoki submission whatever but then Sexy Armor was just like fine and just chilled with Shinya Aoki on his back and then Shinya gassed his legs out and Sexy Armor beat the fuck out of him in the second round and Shinya Aoki really like really didn't want to give into it like like he did he just really didn't want to go out because he seemed to actually have legitimate beef beef with sexy armor uh and so, and so it was, i mean yeah sexy armor just really had to go for it it, it was i mean it was cool I, I was i lost my fucking mind watching that fight yeah uh chris barnett versus jake collier that fight is just uh very inspirational like the context in the personal life of chris barnett makes it a lot crazier as well and the fact that people were just thinking, oh, Jay Collier is um, like a, a decent-ish prospect uh, going against a guy who's kind of like a meme just for being the, the guy who seems like he wouldn't be the type of guy that can just do a fucking, like, a wheel kick athletically. And then he does, because uh, there's a weird thing where people think that he is uh, a guy that is a heavyweight just because he eats poorly and doesn't, like, work out well. Nah, he's just a heavy guy. Like, you look at the difference between him and Jake Collier. Jake Collier is a middleweight who is just out of shape and uh, gained a lot of weight through that and then just decided to fight during it. Whereas Chris Barnett is genuinely just a large dude who happens to be kind of short. Yeah, he's just, he's incredibly thick and dense and, but like, yeah, he's actually athletic and I'm sure like, like underneath the fat, he's just jacked. <laughs> he's, he's got, he's got like a... Sh- got like a strong man body yeah it's, it's just a nice fight from like an optic standpoint uh it, it was a, a crazy war barnett had a a, a passing very close to him uh before the fight pretty recently they had the kind of fight that you don't traditionally think of chris barnett as being capable of and i had an amazing post-fight uh interview like like gen- genuinely inspirational stuff like chris barnett fucking rules He's too good for the UFC. Uh, then my actual pick. Yeah, I think maybe the actual pick is uh, Ducky De Silva Dandraj versus Sergey Morozov. Yeah, it's just a fucking crazy war where it's not necessarily back and forth, but it it kind of is because 
it's not just an instant, oh shit, he fucking came back in one exchange and won the fight. He really built back into it, which I think for me is a, a key part of a, a true comeback is someone building into it, not just it happening. Yeah, and Douglas De Silva was getting destroyed in the first round. Um, and like he landed some attrition shots throughout there. Like he got some body shots in. He showed that the overhand was there. But then. Then the second round, he really just started putting the pressure on and investing in the body shots in a ton of like hard left hook to the body into into right straights, and and uh, was able to get the back and finish Morozov on the ground. And yeah, he it was one where he he it looked like he was fucked in the first round, and he really had to dig deep and not not just go out and fight, make tactical adjustments to a, a decent, well-rounded fighter. Yeah, so that that's my pick for best comeback. I think the other ones were a little bit too much. Uh, a guy just coming back in an exchange or his opponent gassing really hard from their own winning. Whereas this was a pure... He made adjustments and like toughed out some really hard situations and then built his way back into the fight and then got a, a secure finish where it... He made it look like not just a comeback. He made it look like a replicable way for him to win. Oh, yeah. I also didn't include uh, Alex Pereira versus Israel Adesanya just because, like, I just thought that was, like, a reasonably competitive fight throughout where, yeah, Pereira was down on the cards and he had to go out and really push the finish in the fifth round. But, but I mean, that, like, just is a replicable way for him, for him to win and it was a possibility the whole time and he had done good work throughout the fight. So I don't... I don't really think of that as being a comeback. Yeah, like Adesanya said his leg was cooked by that point in the fight. So... Yeah. I mean, Adesanya said he was still fine. Then for best prospect, not that many options, but we got some. We got we got some. I I I wanted to throw this in here. It's not like we're watching a ton of regional stuff, and we're looking out for people who are gonna be coming into the UFC. I didn't even watch the fucking contender series this year, but um, you know, some people who made UFC debuts this year who uh, aren't ranked yet, but are clearly gonna be uh, meaningful players in their division f- for a long time. Uh, Tatsuya Tyra. Uh, Japanese flyweight prospect who's he's just a really nice uh like back take specialist and counter puncher. Yeah, his game works very cohesively together in a way that's fun and interesting. Yeah, and he clearly he's like very young but is like has a reasonably complete game that works but he can still build on. Um uh, he's a good athlete. And uh, he picked up two solid wins this year in a uh, d- decision over Carlos Candelario, who is uh, very experienced and well-rounded, and um, a armbar submission win over CJ Vergara, who is really athletic and a good scrambler. Way better uh, wins than you would expect someone his age to be able to get at this point in his career. Yeah, not easy fights to to be your first two fights in the UFC at all. And you gotta consider Tatsura Tyra doesn't even have like man strength yet. He's he's like twenty two, twenty three. I or, or, I'm not sure whether he hit twenty two this year or hit twenty three this year, but he's very young. Uh, you expect that 
he's the type of fighter who also has a style that's going to allow him to age well or age gracefully and just get better and better. So that's nice. Also, depending on what you constitute as a prospect, we could have Shavkat Rachmanov on here. Uh, once you've beaten Neil Magny, you're not a prospect. Well, I feel like the, just the fact that uh, he's he's a guy that people expect to be really fucking good, whereas I, I feel like it's kind of innate to a prospect for someone to be a bit of an unknown and not like 7-0 M1 before they come to the UFC for them to be a prospect. Yeah. Because like M1's good. If you're seven and zero and M one, you're fucking good. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, like I say, a win over Neil Magny is like that's a like you're you're a welterweight contender as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but for the future of welterweight, we have got Jack De La Maddalena, who we talked about earlier. Um, who I'm sure I, I'm almost certain uh, his next fight is going to be a ranked one. Um, if not, I'm sure he's going to be in ranked fights at some point in 2023. Um, we were really impressed with him coming off his fight with uh, Ong Lusa in the Contender Series, which um, I guess his recent performances have also given uh, some context to Ong, Ong Lusa as an opponent who like hung in there for the whole fight and didn't give Jack Adelmandelena an easy fight at all. And it has been nothing but first-round finishes this year uh, against aforementioned Pete Rodriguez, who didn't really deserve to be in there, but as we said, is tough and dangerous. Um, and then Ramsan Amiyev, who has his problems, but is a tough, grindy grappler who fits the archetype of the couple of losses that Jack De La Maddalena sustained really early in his career and showed the kind of development that he's had to have to be where he's at now. And then he just went out there and uh, fucking obliterated Danny Roberts. Yeah, I feel like uh, Madalena has to be the pick just because he has three first round finishes uh in a year yeah really impressive stuff like rodriguez and me even roberts gradually better and better competition and like none of them are bad fighters and he finished them all fast as fuck oh and he's fighting randy brown next oh in february okay well that's that's definitely a test I guess we, you know, we we could throw in Raul Rosas Jr. just for being thirteen years old and getting a nice submission, but I don't think we can. You know, like there's there's nothing you know outside of that context that that really like screams this guy is the future of this division to me in the in the same way that I'm I I do think with uh, the other people we got on this list and the last one that I threw in was uh, Natalia Silva, uh, maybe kind of out of nowhere and. Yeah, it's women's flyweight, it's whatever, but um, I just think she's got a really cool style. Uh, I've, I've really enjoyed both of the performances that she had this year. Um, yeah, she had a win um, in her debut over Jasmine Jasudavidius, where she just looked like fucking vintage Edson Barboza, just like just like outmaneuvered and switch-kicked the shit out of the girl and uh, uh, looked really solid in scrambles as well. Uh, like was getting some nice trips, um, just comprehensive ass whooping, and then fought uh, Teresa Blader, who was also making her debut and wasn't quite as experienced, but uh, was very large and athletic and grindy and uh, gave uh, Natalia Silva everything she could handle uh, in the first round and actually like, forced Silva to like show that she could... Uh, deal with all phases of fighting and push through adversity and then 
she knocked out Teresa Blader with a fucking... It was like a spinning sidekick to the face as Teresa Blader was taking a bad shot. Um, one of those things that looks kind of fluky when you see it, but, I mean, Teresa Blader had been, like, shooting shitty low singles throughout the fight, and uh, Natalia Silva had kind of just been using the spinning sidekick as, as like, a, a one-size-fits-all, like, intercepting counter. So, like, the, that'll happen. I guess kind of, kind of like the... the uh, Aljamain Sterling versus Marlon Marais kind of thing, but yeah, two really good wins, and she's got a she's got a fun style, and she's a good athlete, and I think she's going to be uh, she's going to be doing good stuff at women's flyweight. Yeah, an honorable mention is Casey O'Neill. If she had just fought more this year, this last year, then uh... that's, fair. that's fair as well. Uh, but at least picked up one like uh, like genuinely very solid win over Roxanne Mataferi who, you know, it, it was her retirement fight and she has had plenty of losses throughout her career, but still just like a crafty, well-rounded veteran who showed against, like, Macy Barber, you can't just be, like, large and violent and beat her. Then we got Best Event, which, honestly, for uh, for a long-ass time, the only thing I even had... The only thing I even had for this one was... Uh, one Championship X headlined by Angela Lee versus Stamp Fairtex. Which, I know that was the headline fight, but that card was ridiculous. Uh, it went on for 10 hours, and everyone who was in America who I was watching it with was asleep for half of it because like, there had just been a UFC card, and it all just kind of carried through. But it had so many fights. That was the, the card that had Demetrius Johnson versus Rod Tang, which was like weird and a kind of a mean thing, but it was fun and the kind of thing I like to see. Uh, you know, we had Super Bomber versus Marat Gregorian, uh, Nono versus Felipe Lobo. Um, I can't even... Like, Nicky Holskin got knocked out by Sinsuma Klinmi on, like, the early prelims. I think maybe Sitichai versus Chingiz Alazov maybe was even on that. It, it was fucking insane. Uh, UFC 281. Also, looking at 281, I'm noticing some vice that we could have added to other categories, like Carlos Marzo versus Weili Zhang as biggest mismatch. Oh, yeah, that is a good one. Or like Dustin Poirier and Michael Chandler as best submission. Yeah. I mean, there's always going to be stuff we're, we're going to forget, I'm sure. Yeah. You got to take all of our... Uh, listed fights with a grain of salt as these are the ones we remembered. Yeah, this is already going to be a hilariously long podcast. But yeah, like what? Yeah, what a crazy card. Yeah, uh, uh, I guess another almost fight of the year contender, at least round of the year contender in uh, Michael Chandler versus Dustin Poirier. Um, of course, uh, uh, Alex Pereira taking the belt from Israel Adesanya, just one of the biggest moments of the year, and. Was was just a great uh, stacked card throughout. Uh, the first UFC London card was also just fucking hilariously violent. There was so many wacky finishes and some fun bangers. And um, I also thought uh, UFC Paris deserved a mention for the same reason, but also just I thought that event had a great atmosphere uh, just because it was the first real big MMA event in France, which is a country who are big on their sports but haven't a uh, mma wasn't even legal there for a long time and b they just haven't had a big french fighter to really get behind so that was just uh 
was just like what a crowd and uh and uh yeah it was it was a ton of great fights as well so honestly my my favorite event what was it was one championship x um for worst forbidden technique pick where we look at what fights we fucked up the most yeah so uh now we're getting into the silly ones and i thought this was fun uh so um we've got we picked Jorge Masvidal to beat Colby Covington which I didn't think was that bad but everyone else picked Colby Covington and he did win like pretty easily he just got dinged pretty bad in the fourth round and Masvidal was too gassed to chase the finish I think it's one where we were just kind of picking against bad information like we were picking Masvidal as if he wasn't really far past it and gonna gas just from Colby trying even a little yeah, and I also like laid out my biases that like I don't think Colby Covington is like actually good, but he's very effective. Whereas Jorge Masvidal is very skilled, but fights like a dumbass. Um, and I still just like had to pick the guy who I thought was just like better at like MMA skills in a vacuum, and that's that's not how that's not how fights work. And I guess I had to learn from that. Yeah, and at least at least for me, picking the fight also um, like the people that were all confidently picking Colby were the like people who really, really care a ton about getting it right rather than being like, I'm not going to pick Colby Covington. <laughs> yeah, that's also yeah. fair. Like you could, you could put Colby Covington versus like CM Punk and I'd be like, I don't know, CM's got this. Yeah. Um, we also picked Edson Barboza to beat Bryce Mitchell. And I don't even think that one's bad. I think it's just if we knew that um, Mitchell was like that competent on the feet and also that Edson was flatly just not going to be able to do anything on the ground at this point. Like he's just too, uh, past it. It was a great performance by Mitchell. Certainly. Yeah. yeah I mean, the, 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 the fight made us look stupid, but like, I don't know that it was that easy to pick going into it. Uh, it's kind of similar, similarly with uh, Cub Swanson versus Jonathan Martinez, where we obviously we were going to pick Cub Swanson because we love Cub Swanson, and in theory it seemed like a winnable matchup. And then um, Cub Swanson at uh, bantamweight was uh, still just small, but didn't have a speed edge, and uh, has always has always struggled with ranged kickers. Yeah, I, I feel like um, those three are ones that we just kind of picked wrong because we didn't look at age appropriately, or like the age. I mean, also I love Cub Swanson and Edson Barboza. Yeah, so. like the way that age influences matchups is kind of like lost on you in certain matchups. But then the other two, I feel like are literally just bad picks we made. Yeah, so not only did we pick Clay Guida to beat Claudio Poyez, we literally picked him specifically to not get knee-barred by Claudio Poyez, and then he got knee-barred by Claudio Poyez. And still with that one, I'm kind of like, I mean, could Clay Guida have just won that fight if he wasn't quite so Clay Guida and just had to just take down Claudio Poyez instantly and just and just let him do all of jujitsu that he knew until he just got a, a submission in like two minutes. That's like one of the. It's one of the only fights I'm actually embarrassed by my pick for because realistically he has the most fucking fights of like anyone. Uh, if if you're gonna look at and also he fights the same almost every single fight. So if you're going to get any... It was also like, there were people who were acting like they were smart because they were picking the guy who's got a couple of knee bars over the guy who's been submitted ten times. I'm like, yeah, oh yeah, good for you, bro. 
good pick. Yeah, they weren't smart for getting it right. It was just like, oh, he got submitted. I do the same debar. Like that's not insightful. But I also feel like we should have at least been like, I don't know, Clay's Clay might lose this one. I, I, I still like having seen that Dan Hooker fight. I'm still just like, how long do you have to not get submitted by by Claudio Poyas for before he just loses uh, an easy fight? <laughs> but then the actual worst pick. It, w- it was it was Bobby Green to beat Islam Makachev. Yeah, if the fight was on um, wasn't on short notice, and we picked the fight like that, it'd be like, okay, yeah, I get that enough. You know, Bobby Green's like we, he's a better defensive wrestler than he is even a defensive puncher. Uh, but it was ten days notice, and there was absolutely no context to make you think that he would be able to win that off of uh, other than like momentum vibes. It was basically we got we got like so into it. We were like, oh my god, Bobby Green's got this. He's got this. He's got this. He just beat. He he got beaten like barely by Fiziev, uh, and he he's now like fucking people up. He's just like outclassed Nazrat. He's got this. Come on, fuck Islam up. But then Islam just uh got kneed in the in the body like four times, and then got the fight to the ground, and it looked like a mauling. He, he beat the shit out of him so much that Bobby Green wasn't even sportsman. Like, after the fact, and was kind of coping in interviews, talking about, oh, yeah, this guy's just been on steroids since he was, like, eight. Like, it was it was a fight that fucked him up so badly that he, it, like, altered his, his character, almost. So, uh, we were just wrong on that one. Like, we, we were just picking Bobby Green because we love Bobby Green and we're underrating Makashev drastically. And the thing is, if you had given us another matchup with Makashev, we would have been like, oh, okay, well, I mean, Makashev is, like, he's still really fucking good. Like, he, he might, he's just going to beat this guy or this guy or this guy. But it's Bobby Green, so we're not going to do yeah, which that. Is, which is the theme with, like, most of these guys. Other, other than, like, even though we don't, like, maybe love Jorge Masvidal specifically, we, we still, like, think he's neat and that Colby Covington sucks. So now, uh, on, on the other side, uh, we had to uh, engage in some mutual backslapping. I'm going to say best forbidden technique pick. Um, and here we've got... Uh, Victor Henry to out hustle Howdy Barcelos, um, just because was a somewhat subversive pick. Uh, a lot of people didn't really think uh, Victor Henry was ready for that kind of matchup, and that Howdy Barcelos was a contender at bantamweight who just hadn't got the right matchups. Um, yeah. I even remember there being people that thought, oh, wow, just a random generic white guy to come get dusted uh, off the regionals by Honey Barcelos. And then we were like, we watched tape on this guy. He's fucking good. Like, he's, he's been around. He's like He was like Chris Curtis-level uh, savvy vet outside the UFC that should have been in the UFC for like five years. Well, and it wasn't just the fact that I was like, oh, this guy's good. He's going to win. It was like, oh, this guy's got a really good style for diffusing counterpunches. And then he overperformed yeah, as well. It was, a, it was a great performance. Um, I put Paul Craig to triangle Nikita Krylov. Uh, I didn't think that was a particularly hard call, but the, the, like, like I said, there, there were people who were like, "Man, Paul Craig needs to stop playing off his back." Well, what was he doing? And he was, he was just always going to get a triangle in that fight. We've got Cheeto Vera to effortlessly destroy Rob Font. Despite Srear Arms pushback, uh, yeah, one that I had to put on here for context because. Seemed like an obvious pick to me, but we had Sriram on to make a case for Rob Font, and you know Sriram's smart and he knows how to explain things really well. 
and he like made a very good case and he would say a bunch of smart stuff and then we kind of just be like yeah but you know he's gonna get dusted right and you know it was a fight where it really just looked like no matter how much rob font tried to do he just wasn't gonna win it yeah he just got punked at kind of every opportunity uh he would be landing hard shots on Cheeto, uh, making Cheeto look slow and and also look just too reactionary and then Cheeto would be like okay but i see something now and then he would get a knockdown and then fuck him up really badly for the rest of the round or and, and then after a certain point he just had gained so much respect from font that he could get away with really anything he wanted um even though uh font kept up the pace as the fight went on just because he's not gonna like give up throwing volume he's just recognize wow i'm getting dropped a lot he like he dropped with a hook kick because the fight was so free at a certain point and he just had him reacting to everything this is a kind of out there one but i have got my my pick uh of well i've written down silas picking yan to beat alexander rakic by some kind of weird attritional leg falling off tko stoppage uh which my actual pick was that um yan was gonna get a. Uh, a stoppage from checking low kicks and i mean it kind of happened like everyone was like oh rakish just blew his knee me out weirdly i'm like no he got like out low kicked and like his low kicks defended the shit out of in an offensive way multiple times and then his knee fell off so i still got to feel kind of vindicated by that one in my own crazy fucking bananas mental gymnastics way so i was gonna throw it in there one that i was actually most impressed by was christian picking brad riddell to get dinged early and then shoot into a ghillie against Jalen turner and then by extension both of us picking riddell to get dinged by a one two and then rnc'd against anato moicano yeah brad riddell a bit of a cheat code for it because once you get a read on brad riddell i think you can pick his fights with like 100 percent certainty um and now we have enough data on it to be like, oh, okay, this is how he operates in this matchup. This is how he operates in this matchup. Really, the only type of fight I can imagine being a hard one for me to pick is something where if you were to fight maybe like Terrence McKinney, because it's about, is he durable enough to just eat shit before Terrence McKinney gasses? Or maybe Terrence McKinney even submits him, something like that. So, really, I was just, uh, for the... The Jalen Turner fight, I just saw it in my head. I was like, there's no way that he doesn't get dinged throwing a, a, like a low kick or something. Or or even if it wasn't a low kick, just if he got dinged doing something from too far away, trying to well, shoot. That was the thing we said, you know, I, I was throwing out, I was like, is this fight going to be a draw? Because I know Brad Riddell is going to get fucked up in the first round, but I don't know what's going to happen after that. And you're kind of just like, well, he's probably just going to get dinged and then he will wrestle because he's an MMA fighter. And then he'll probably just like shoot into a guillotine. And yeah, Moicano was once we'd seen that, it's just like, oh yeah, this this guy can like uh can like aggressively counter and has a great back take game. Yeah, so uh I I think probably the actual winner for that one for the, the best one we got was the the Brad Riddell duo of of us both just kind of knowing how to how to pick Brad Riddell fights. Uh, forbidden Technique Award for Funniest Actually Viable Fighting Move, not to be confused for Forbidden Technique Award for uh, Most Viable Funny Fighting Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure which one it's supposed to be, but uh, yeah, we got we got a particularly silly one here where 
you, you know, we, we, we always like to discuss like the efficacy of like non-traditional techniques that come up in MMA and particularly... It's kind of like the name of the podcast. It's exactly where that comes from. Uh, so I had to throw it in there. And particularly, you know, it's always fun whenever you see like a finish or just something happen in a fight with a move that you just didn't think was going to work. And then you're like, Oh, everybody's going to be trying that. Um, so of course had to include the aforementioned ax kick to the body from guard, which, um, which, uh, Arania Aldana finished Macy Chiasson with, uh, a personal favorite of mine is the reverse up elbow off of wrist control, kind of the like the Anderson Silva Tony Frickland style, but doing it off of like uh, wrist control in the clinch actually makes it like look way more effective because if you just use your open glove to just yank down on your opponent's wrist, then there's essentially no way they can bring that hand back up to like defend their chin by the time you've just like whipped your elbow back up to to hit them in the face because like it's already like kind of cocked to just do that from you yanking their arm down so like uh, i like that one uh the pimp backhand uh, is also fun that we've seen uh like utilized to some degree of actual effectiveness in a couple of fights this year i remember there was a moment where calvin cater uh overthrew on a right hand against giga Jikadze and just uh where a lot of guys would like turn through to do like a spinning back fist off of the other side he kind of just kind of just like backhanded him with his right hand and also uh jared cannonier fucked up uh derek brunson with, with the similar thing after like hitting like a folding elbow and then a backhand on the other way before finishing him yeah and then overcuts that shit's <laughs> that's just just perfect uh, okay, for, for Christian, for the uninitiated, explain overcuts. Okay, so it's when your back is taken, or even just any position where your opponent's behind you, doesn't necessarily have to be a, a strict back take, where you just do punches over your own shoulder. It can be from either side. You can punch across yourself behind your shoulder. You can just punch like directly behind yourself. You can even do like a, an old martial arts movie style, like backhand behind your head. Uh, but any technique that involves you hitting someone and the reason for the name is an uppercut is like an upstrike where you kind of hook it around. Whereas an overcut is just, it's just, you do it farther to where it is now an overcut. Um, it's, it's fucking stupid. Uh, I remember the first time I ever thought of the name was against Steve, it was Steve Garcia versus Luis Pena, where I think Steve Garcia actually won the fight, uh, purely off of overcuts. So the thing about overcuts is I've never been sure about overcuts as a viable move because the problem is, as you said, with the Steve Garcia fight, uh, he di he didn't win the fight against Luis Pena. They scored the back control over the overcuts. But this year may mark uh, a change in um, the potential effectiveness of overcuts as actual as an actual fight winning move because. I believe it was Andre Feely versus Bill Algio. In the last round, Bill Algio actually won the third round on at least one judge's card by just fucking Andre Feely up with long boy overcuts while he had his back taken. Like he looked like he had Andre Feely actually kind of rocked from those uh, from those overcuts. So uh, we we may actually see see this be a 
a useful move moving forward. It's a genuinely dangerous move if you're going against someone who's not particularly good at choking you, but is good at keeping your back. Yeah, and then we got uh, Pelvic Thrust to Face from North-South, because it's fucking funny. It's not necessarily, like, the best technique, but it's funny. Yeah, I don't even know if that was this year, but we, did, we didn't talk about it when... Uh, I don't even remember who did it. Oh, it was just some heavyweight guy who had a guy in North-South and just started smashing him in the face with his cup. Shit was funny. Okay, um, and now... Uh, Another silly weird award. I tried not to have too many of these, but uh, we've got most legit injury TKO of the year, uh, which is one because like I feel like we're always the guys that when like when there's some kind of weird fight ending result that isn't like a traditional what we think of as a finish or or, or a decision or whatever, everyone's like, oh well, that, that doesn't count. And we're always kind of the guys. We're always like, devil's advocate for it. Yeah, maybe, it, maybe it did count though. I also think we're we're, we're kind of we we just have the mentality that like yeah, finish is a finish. Like if I if I had won a fight like Arnold Allen beat Calvin Cater, I'd be like getting up on the cage like yeah, <laughs> yeah. I fucking out footwork this guy to the point to where he he jumped and broke his own leg. Like that, that's that's like the Willie Pep win without getting hit. Shit. Exactly. Even though it technically ends with a low kick. Um, after Calvin Cater had blown out his knee, um, he still like actually outmaneuvered Calvin Cater to the point that he threw a strike that put him so out of position that he just destroyed his own leg. That's what that's my pick for it this year. <laughs> that's fair. Yaya Rodriguez versus Brian Ortega. You know, Yaya throws up an arm bar. Brian Ortega defends it, and then suddenly his arm falls off. I think that might just be up there for most legit submission victory of the year, because like he went for a submission and injured his opponent. That that's that's what submissions do. Jan Blachowicz versus Alexander Rakic for the reasons that I mentioned earlier. Um, Curtis Blades versus Tom Aspinall probably that did seem like a pretty random thing. I guess at most you could say that Curtis Blades being like well-ranked and a well-regarded fighter just made Tom Aspinall so jumpy that he just like came out too hot just moving too much and his leg fell off and then uh Denise Bondar versus Malcolm Gordon uh where he just like posted defending a takedown and his arm like went the wrong way after Gordon had kind of thrown up an armbar earlier in the fight I respect the Arnold Allen versus Calvin Cater pick, but for me, it's, it's Jan Blachowicz versus Alexander Rakic. Because that also, that was an actual injury stoppage, uh, but that was just caused by stuff that clearly happened in the fight. Yeah, and uh, also we mentioned earlier, like the, the Aljamain Sterling versus TJ Dillashaw one, where that, that one just doesn't really fall into this category because he was injured before the fight started. Like, very, like, like, they knew about it, too. Like, the fight, the I, I don't think Aljamain Sterling knew, but, you know... Everyone else knew, and then it showed up immediately. So that it just doesn't really fall into the category. I, I think the winner for this category is uh, Arnold Allen versus Calvin Cater. Like pretty clearly, it was him winning the first round, and then uh, also tricking Cater into jumping so far out of out of just very out of, out of pocket uh, decision shot making wise or uh, shot selection wise. That was heavily influenced by the the way that Arnold Allen was moving. Okay, so uh, we're going to finish off on a nice one, uh, since there's been a lot of retirements this year. Uh, 
lot of uh, old people getting fed into the wood chipper and realizing they don't have it anymore. Um, and so I wanted to uh, take a moment to pay tribute to the old dogs that are still hanging on. We got best old man win. And this is a pretty stacked field this year. And it's nice to see. Um, the first one that I put on here, because it just seemed obvious, was uh, Rafael Asuncao coming back against Victor Henry. Um, you know, a fantastic veteran technician who'd been on a really hard run of just uh, fighting incredibly dangerous guys after being passed up by the promotion, passed up for title shots when he was clearly one of the best bantamweights in the world for a very long time. And it seemed like the time had finally just caught up to him and he put on an absolute clinic against a guy who we said earlier was a really dangerous fighter and in a lot of ways seemed like he could have been um, a really uh, rough matchup for a Sun Sal and was an easy 30-27. Yeah, I remember um, thinking that the decision was closer than that, but also still having it for a Sun Sal, so like, it wasn't a robbery or anything. Uh, close it was just uh like i thought it was just a like a great performance in a, a competitive fight yeah victor henry wasn't useless in the fight at all but uh Sunsau just did everything right and you know looked like a close to prime version of himself and uh then in like a a more old man type of way uh jim miller fought nicholas mota and he used old man power used old man power and just that was a huge experience differential as well like Mata was uh he was an okay athletic prospect um just was not quite ready for someone as uh, seasoned as Jim Miller and I mean you know Jim Miller just absolutely spun his brain by being southpaw and doing low kicks and then just decked him with a beautiful right hook um Francisco Trinaldo uh, versus Danny Roberts. Uh, you got to throw in there because, you know, Danny Roberts, uh, beatable but dangerous, and Francisco Trinaldo has got to be one of the oldest guys in the UFC at this point. He's fucking ancient. Yeah, he's so old that it seems like they might be lying about his age. Right. Uh, then just Andre Arlovsky existing? Yeah, uh, he's also... Yeah. Ta- like, any fight he d- he doesn't lose... Yeah, which is a remarkable amount of them these days. Yeah. Had a crazy good, like, win streak for a while. Yeah, I don't even remember who he beat this year. And, you know, he lost to Delima. It'd be like that. Um, um, it's about as bad of a matchup as you can get. Yeah, and he's still just hanging around, like, just boxing up jobbers. Like, it's... He, he was at, like... He was literally at like UFC 40 or something. Like he's been around for so long. Yeah, he beat Jared Vandera and Jake Collier. There you go. That's not nothing. Um, Gerald Mearshart versus Bruno Silva was just like, I mean, it was kind of out of nowhere. Because <laughs> like, you know, Bruno Silva had a competitive striking match where he hung in there for, for a full three rounds with Alex Pereira. And then Gerald Mearshart, like, just consummately outclassed Bruno Silva and had a, like a defensive masterclass and then finished him and like, dropped Bruno Silva with a left hook in the third round where Alex Pereira failed. So that was just fucking incredible. Like I love G I love GM three, but it seemed, it seemed like, uh, uh, like the perfect matchup for him to just get fucking murderized. And he looked like a God. Yeah. Uh, and also like the submission was actually like really fucking nice too. 
Silva's not an easy guy to submit. Uh, he's kind of normally a structure of his or a function of his game is that he's hard to grapple, uh, but he can fuck you up with ground and pound. So like he, if you accidentally let him on top of you, he'll kill you. Yeah, um, Sith Chai versus Muhammad Butasa, uh, a kickboxing fight in one championship where you know Sith Chai coming off uh, his loss in a very competitive fight to you know, clearly a top guy in the world right now in Chingiz Alazov, um, and Muhammad Butasa was just like just like a young guy and he was fucking huge and athletic and. This was like Sitachai having his Cub Swanson versus Duho Choi fight, where he's just like, "Oh, this guy's just his thing is just being huge and athletic and and hitting hard, and he's just going to try and walk up to me and kill me." Well, fuck this! Just like I was saying earlier with Sitachai, if you can bring a fight to him and take him like out of his comfort zone, like he he will just stand there and just have trades with you and just be tougher and more experienced and craftier and he just put a beating on a young undefeated guy who thought you could just look thought you could just go in there and steamroll a legend uh then we got ovary versus Badahari, which is hard for me to not have as my favorite best old man win uh because ovary i mean it was awesome because i love alistair ovary. it's also one of the only ones on the list where it's an old man versus an old man and uh the older man got fucked up worse like, Badahari, the issue, though, is that Badahari's been in kickboxing all this time, while Overeem uh, hasn't competed in kickboxing in a very long time, he's just been doing MMA, and then Overeem's like, you know what, I'm back, bitch, and just fucks him up, uh, and, and has, like, a difficult fight, but still easily, win- or not like, like, easily gets the decision. Well, and should have got a finish if the, the ref wasn't just in Badahari's pocket. Yeah. And, uh, and he just, like... Just like MMA kickboxed Badder Harry. <laughs> the commentary's just like, yeah, you know, over him, he's, he's an MMA fighter. He's very unorthodox with, you know, the way he moves and his shot selection. I mean, also, he, he genuinely looked fucking ancient. He looked jacked again, but he looked really slow and clunky. But he's a smart fighter and he's always understood how to keep adapting to his limitations. And. And you know, you know, we basically picked that fight just based on cosmic justice, because uh, Alistair Overeem can actually like display heart and stage comebacks now because he's a nice person, and uh, Bada Harry has always been a terrible person and falls apart even in fights that he's winning. Yeah. Um, and the last one on here, recent one, uh, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson against Kevin Holland. Uh, just doesn't look like an old man unless you wrestle him. <laughs> yeah, like, this is an old man win where we just got to actually see him in a fight where he gets to strike with someone, which we haven't gotten to see over five in a, a fight where someone's actually going to take it to him in a long time. Uh, it, it was a fight where he was actually able to get a finish, because we haven't seen a fucking Wonderboy Thompson finish in, like, five years or something. Yeah, and which, you know, also, even in the fights that he's been winning, he's just been, like, uh, breaking his hands on the granite faces of Vicente Luke and Jeff Neal. Yeah, it was just, uh, it was a matchup where we got to just see all of Vintage Wonderboy, uh, you know, w- with some new wrinkles as well. He, he's 
you know, he, he's another guy who's going to keep trying to improve things, even though his, you know, his wrestling is not not going to get any better at this point. There were new wrinkles to his striking game and shot selection that we haven't really seen in a lot of fights before. And it was just an insane pace. It was a fucking war. Like, he got fucked up and had to come back. And we, he did every kick that there is. Yeah, if you gave him an extra round, he probably would have invented a new... Uh, so, that, I don't know. I think my pick for this, for best old man win... It's, it might be a Sun Sal versus Victor Henry. Uh, I think it's a Sun Sal Henry for me. Yeah, like I want to pick a different one um, because I didn't think the... Like I just personally wasn't like that enthused by it. I, I liked it. Like I thought it was cool and a great performance. But uh, I don't have like a personal affinity for the fight. Unlike Overeem versus Badarari or uh, Mirjai versus Bruno Silva. But Victor Henry's really fucking good. And uh, a Sun Sal had looked like ragged. It seemed like lately. a Sun Sal was done. So yeah, that that's the show. Um, yeah, this has been the Forbidden Technique podcast. If you enjoyed this content and all the other great stuff that the Fight Site puts out, please consider supporting us on Patreon. A pledge of just $5 gains access to a huge library of really high-quality analytical uh, fight content, um, as well as to a Discord server where we have a great community of fight fans from a ton of different backgrounds where we're always having great discussions, getting together to watch fights. And you can talk to staff and ask us questions and stuff. You can ask me about how uh, I score the coolness of knockouts. Yeah. This has been the Forbidden Technique Podcast. We'll see you soon. Later. Peace.